there's these systems that are rolling by themselves all around us. So it's kind of fun for me as, as a creator to, you know, to not uh, meticulously control every crosshatched line, but to set up a system and then see what it would do. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 184th episode, I'm joined by David Nelson, who is a painter from New Hampshire. And we talk a bit about some of his work, which has explored various systems of abstraction, as well as a recent series of paintings based off of separations and CMYK color. Of course, we'll talk all about that coming up. I do want to tell you to check out his exhibition, which is at the Governor's Island Art Fair in Manhattan. It runs every Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 6 p.m. through October 1st, so be sure to check it out. If by chance you're finding Studio Break for the very first time, I do want to encourage you to check out the other episodes on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our blog posts have images of the artist's work, so you can look through it, click to their website, and check it out in detail. And you can also listen to these lengthy interviews that are right there on studiobreak.com, or just click that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast if you're an iTunes listener. I would like to point out that we very recently started doing some videos, so you can also find some links with our recent interviews with Gina Hunt, who spoke about her new installation at Illinois State University Galleries, as well as Greg Edmondson, who is currently an artist-in-residence at Osage Arts Community, and we spoke with him about his book and exhibition there. So once again, check out Studio Break video on YouTube, and of course you can find us in a number of social media formats, so please follow our Facebook page and like it. Again, we provide some previews of some of the guests coming up as well as show announcements and opportunities you can of course find us on twitter at studio break and new to instagram studio underscore break so be sure to follow there and say hello all right with those announcements out of the way here is our interview with david nelson stay tuned welcome to studio break david nelson how are you this morning I'm doing great, David. How are you? Excellent, excellent. And uh, you're in uh, New Hampshire, is that correct? Yes, yeah, I'm in Dublin, New Hampshire. It's in uh, southwestern New Hampshire, kind of between Keene and Peterborough, if you're familiar with that area. Are you originally from this area? Is that where you grew up? Well, kind of. I grew up in Connecticut, but my parents bought a summer place in southern New Hampshire when I was three years old. So mm-hmm. I spent pretty much every summer I can remember in this region. Interesting. So, yeah. So uh, when my wife and I moved back here about uh, 30 years ago now, it really felt like home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you as you know well, um, I usually like to kind of get a little bit of a background and, and see what kind of interests you had, especially, you know, when you were young. So were you an active uh, artist as a, a youngster? Well, I think the, uh, the earliest thing I can remember creatively was um, I remember playing out in the dirt when I was real little and I found a I found a stone that I thought looked like a baseball hat so I ran and I showed my mom and then I ran out and picked up other stones and sticks and built a baseball player to go under the hat mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so uh so that was something my mom saved I think it's it's probably in my junk somewhere but my mom was artistic she uh she took a painting class in the uh in the Y when I was in grade school and she and my, my aunt Britta. And so, you know, there was always 
painting going on. She was, she did really good landscapes. It was really fun. And so did you have a lot of uh, formal education as you're, you're coming up through grade school, high school, stuff like that? Yeah, well, just the usual uh, usual high school stuff. My my main interest in high school was literature. I I loved literature and was thinking of being an English major. But I think even before that, the biggest influence in my life was the huge cardboard box in the basement that was full of comic books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. I went into kindergarten knowing how to read and. and not just knowing how to read, but how to uh, read words like nefarious scheme and <laughs> <laughs> you know secret identity. So, uh, so yeah, comics really had a big, big influence in my life. So you're kind of always one of those kids kind of drawing and, you know, doing stuff and, and thinking about comics and that kind of stuff as you're getting older. Well, what happened was, um, I, I got really into collecting comics in high school and, um, there was a comic shop in West Hartford I would go to. And one time when uh, I was there, I saw on the bulletin board a uh, an ad for comic art classes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I started going to these classes in comic art and, and loved it. Had a lot of fun. You know, and then looking back, it's like, man, I learned a lot through those classes. You know, anatomy and figure drawing, perspective, mm-hmm. composition, color theory. And you know, that really got me turned on to... Uh, know, to art more specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so was that something that you, you thought you could kind of pursue as a, as a career at that time? Or again, it's a, one of those things where everybody comes to it differently, I think, but yeah, well, I don't know if I wasn't really thinking that practically, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was thinking I'd be an English major where, you know, that's where the real money is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, but then, uh, but then, you know, talking with my mom when, uh, it was getting to be time to look for colleges. She says, well, you know, you seem to really love art. Why don't you study art? So I started looking at art schools and, uh, my dad who, uh, he, he and his brothers had a trucking business. And I, I, I don't think my dad thought an abstract thought in his entire life. I mean, mm-hmm. he was just a super practical straight ahead guy. But when I look back on that, he really loved me to allow me to pursue this mm-hmm. without freaking out. Sure. But he had a uh, he had a really good piece of advice. He said, well, why don't you go study art at a university? Then when you're done, you're going to have a college degree. And that'll mean something to anybody who's hiring you. So uh, I looked around. I wanted to go to school in New England. And uh, so I looked at the University of Maine and uh, the art department there was really welcoming and uh, had a great initial conversation with the head of the department and it's a beautiful campus, and it wasn't uh, wasn't UConn where all my friends were going. I wanted to go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I went to University of Maine in Orono. And did they drop you in? Obviously, the those uh, intro classes where you're kind of drawing vegetables and you know making uh, cubes and uh, you know 3D introduction, you know stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and I found that my my comic book. Um, preparation that that just uh that really was great prep for all of that because i i went in finding a chief you know i know anatomy and figure mm-hmm. drawing is coming easy and uh you know wow 2d design is coming together really quick and uh you know it was uh, like wow i'm i can do this stuff it was it was really encouraging 
Well, it's interesting because I think about it relative to now, just in terms of like sketching, especially in preparation. Again, I kind of did something similar, at least when I was growing up. But I mean, like I think about all the, you know, the the drawings that I wound up making and just all the sketching involved. And I don't know, just kind of figuring out things and kind of piecing it together that, you know, I, I could imagine those skills could be, you know, helpful in, in terms of, you know, trying to really, you know, draw representationally what you see in front of you. Yeah, it was really good for that. I mean, I... I remember my figure drawing teacher said, well, well, it's obvious you've got a facility for this, but you've still got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right, right. And actually, the, the interesting thing, David, was uh, when I went to university, I mean, I hated contemporary art. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, my, my favorites were, you know, Vermeer and Tiepolo and, you know, Andrew Wyeth. And we had that, that Time Life series of the great artists. Have you seen those books? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had memorized all of those books with, you know, Rembrandt and, uh, you know, all the old masters and stuff. And that's, that's what I was into, but I hated, you know, I thought, I thought contemporary art was a scam. You know, I, I thought, oh, you know, this, it's just the, the greatest, you know, somebody's pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. But then, um, I had to take a class in it and that changed pretty much everything. It was really, uh, really quite a turning point for me. Well, again, it's kind of interesting because you're kind of, you know, talking about very representational based, you know, painters. And then you're thinking about, especially, you know, looking at your work, um, kind of the older work that you have. Again, it's so system based. Was there some artists that kind of influenced that in, in terms of that contemporary class? Artists using, you know, systems to, to be able to make work that, you know, just caught your eye or... Well, when I, I had to take the class, and so uh, one of the first things we had to do was do a uh, do a paper on a living artist. So at the end of the class, I, I went up to the teacher and I said, you know, I, I don't know any living artists. I just studied the dead ones. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, I'll pick one for you. Um, why don't you do Jean Dubuffet? Mm-hmm. And he was alive back then. So uh, I said, oh, okay, and I wrote down his name. I'd never heard of him before. So I go to the library and take out all the books they had on Jean Dubuffet. I was horrified. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, a minute, this looks like kids' drawings. And you know, he had sculptures that were like faces made out of cinders, and paintings that looked like you know just a vast expanse of asphalt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, I can't. You know, this, this is... But then I began to to read the books and see. Wait a minute, he was looking for like a primal visual knowledge that everyone has. He studied the art of the insane and primitive cultures and children and started to look at the commonalities of, you know, what's, what's going on in our visual perceptions? How do we perceive life visually? Why are we drawn to this, you know, making figures and uh, trying to interpret life around us onto, you know, a a flat surface? Mm -hmm. And just became fascinating. Um, you know, he was asking questions like, you know, how do we perceive the world? You know, what do we have in common as humanity? You know, is intellect the only way to understand the world? So all of these philosophical questions um, came out, and I, I just found that fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it. It's kind of like the perfect artist, then, it sounds like, for the time that you're, that you're at, because you're kind of, again, maybe looking at a, one type of mode. And you can yeah. imagine this opens up the, the, the door on all sorts of ways of, of thinking about art. 
Well, one of the big things was, you know, when you're doing figure drawing, it's all about control. You know, how can I render this, uh, you know, this hand, this, this, this cheekbone, you know, how can I, and, and it's all about exerting control. And then I'm faced with this artist who's asking the question, well, how much control should I exert? You know, maybe I should pay attention to what the medium has to say. Mm-hmm. And some of Dubuffet's work, he, he, it's entirely medium. He did a whole series of uh, texturologies that were just, just texture of, you know, he'd mix paint with sand or mix it with uh, concrete. And uh, it really made me face the idea that you know, maybe this isn't just me exerting my will on the art. Maybe I've got to listen to what the medium has to say. And, and then I started thinking about, well, what happens when you allow other forces to exert their will mm-hmm. on your work? Interesting. And so how did this, you know, impact, especially like the, the work that you've, you know, finished with at the end of your study? So later in that same class, the, the professor began to point out this idea of, you know, art is this balance of opposites, you know, control and freedom, order and chaos, intellect, intuition, reason, emotion, you know, the, the mechanical versus the organic, the line versus the curve. And so, uh, so instead of you know, trying to be Tiepolo, um, I started setting up grids and horizon lines and, and then uh, background layers of really linseed-rich you know, layers of paint and then dropping turpentine-rich paint on top of that. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but it creeps like crazy. It just, it just goes berserk. Mm-hmm. So... Now, I was fascinated with this idea of setting up a system and then building into it something that's going to act by itself. So, of course, my uh, my painting professor said, uh, you know, that painting's never going to dry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he was right. I've, I've got one downstairs that's uh, like stuck to another thing. <laughs> well, and so what did you wind up, I guess, kind of transitioning to afterwards? Yeah, when I graduated... Uh, one of the gaps, I think, in the instruction, I, I really like you know, like the instruction I got at the university, but there was no instruction on what's next, mm-hmm. you know, how to be an artist, how to have a career, you know, how do you engage in this practice, how do you, you know, what's next? So I, I started to, uh, to live nearby in Bangor, Maine, and uh, I set up the front room in my apartment and, uh, and started to paint and you know, kept exploring this theme. I did, uh, I did a bunch of watercolor slash drawings that were on uh, scribbled grids with with stencils of autumn leaves, and uh, you know, did some some work with um, with masked out ovals on uh, that were generated by the. Uh, the guy I worked with, I, I did. Uh, I had a job doing graphic design at the hospital there in Bangor, and the photographer had a uh, oh, what was it? It was the Radio Shack Tandy computer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like you know, wow, computer. So I had him generate a grid of zeros and blanks for me, and I did a bunch of paintings you know, based on those those random patterns. But uh, you know, I, I think one of the tough parts about doing this, uh, you know, mostly solitary discipline is, uh, how do you get input? How do you interact with the outside world? How do you, how do you get other people to see your work and respond to it? 
So, uh, so that was, that was, I think, kind of a stalling point for me. Um, it was tough to keep things going. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would really didn't get much advice from, you know, I visited my former professors, but really didn't get much more advice beyond, uh, oh, this is great. Keep it up. <laughs> right, right. So then, you know, life intervened. I, uh, I got married and uh, my wife and I moved to New Hampshire and um, I had been doing uh, graphic designy kinds of things like designing posters in college and I did some cartooning for the school paper. So when we moved down to New Hampshire, I got uh, a design uh, job doing um, paste up for a magazine. So then uh, you know, I had kids and built a house and pretty much put producing artwork on the sh- on the back burner because uh, the kind of stuff I was interested in required a lot of space. Mm-hmm. But uh, those years, looking back on it, those years really weren't wasted because all the time I was thinking about this, this balance. And, you know, I found that not, not just, you know, every artist has to deal with this balance of, you know, like a portrait painter has to figure out, well, Am I going to use a tiny brush and get every detail of the person's face? Or am I going to use a big brush and paint that person's personality? Mm-hmm. And in the same way, I was seeing that balance of control and freedom was in, in everything. You know, raising kids, uh, mm-hmm. too much control, that's not good. You know, too much freedom, that's not good either. <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, so all the time, I, I wasn't really doing art, but I was pondering this um, this balance and you know i'd be walking home and see uh, you know autumn leaves scattered across a tiled patio and think you know wow there's mechanical and organic there's order and chaos and uh, just having that artistic idea in the back of my mind really was uh, it was a rich thing to ponder and i kept pondering it yeah, it almost sounds like kind of like collecting, you know, stimuli and, and kind of like letting it kind of like accrue and accrue. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing. I, I've read a lot of books on creativity, and it seems like there's all of them talk about this idea of engagement and retreat where pretty much everybody that's had like a breakthrough idea they've like obsessively filled their mind with the subject matter and then intentionally forgotten about it or stepped away from it or taken a nap Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and then you know your subconscious i really believe there's there's a ton of power in the subconscious and i think you know all those years my brain was really cranking away on this well, and so what eventually kind of brought you back to, to making? Did you just have the, the resources and the time and the space to be able to to kind of start working and kind of getting back to painting? Yeah, well, I, um, I built a garage um, with, a, with an office and built – it was 20, 28 by 36 garage. And I built an upstairs so I could get my office out of the house mm-hmm. and – give my older daughter a bedroom of her own, which she was excited about. Mm-hmm. And so I had this 28 by 36 office space and my computer and graphic stuff was off in one corner. And you know, I've got this big space where, all right, I don't have an excuse anymore. Um, let's do something. 
And so, uh, but then, you know, well, what are, there's always this, this hump of getting started, getting the materials and what am I going to pursue? And one of the things I was thinking about all those years was, um, what if, cause I, as a designer, I was dealing with CMYK all the time mm-hmm. you know, with color separations of cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And I thought, you know, all the pictures in my magazines, every color is made up of those four colors. Well, so I, so I started thinking, well, what if I could take like a chaotic emotional gesture, like spattering paint, but what if I could spatter a 10% dot of cyan? Mm-hmm. And then if I overlaid that with a 10% spatter of yellow, then I'd have green. Mm-hmm. And then I began to think, well, then I could set up systems that could determine where the paint goes and I could farm out those systems to random numbers or scattered objects. Um, So I'd have a way of um, making a painting, but let the painting paint itself and relinquish authority, relinquish uh, engagement instead of grabbing onto it. But the problem was I, I played around with the idea, but I couldn't find a way to spatter a small enough dot that was opaque and consistent. You know, I used like, uh, you know, contact lens squirter bottles and, uh, you know, pump uh, spray bottles and, and nothing, you know, either the paint would have to be too thick to be opaque and it would clog the thing or it would be too thin and because I, I didn't want the paint to physically mix. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have it optically mixed. So it had to be opaque enough so that a drop of yellow paint could land on a drop of red paint and stay yellow. So anyhow, after a lot of uh, fiddling around, I was talking to my friend Mike about it. And uh, Mike was a pastor. So he said, uh, said oh, I'll, I'll pray for you I'll, that, uh, <laughs> that you get a creative idea. So I uh, oh, thanks. So and later that week, I started thinking, well, suppose I use like a pump-up garden sprayer. I could control the, the pressure and the nozzle. And so I you know, dumped some acrylic paint in, and lo and behold, it worked. And I was like, interesting. Wow, wow. Yeah. Certainly and, one of the more interesting tools I think I've uh, uh, heard somebody talk about thus far. <laughs> and so, Maybe the most. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I remember I've, I've still got the first painting I did where – you know, I laid down blue paint and then I put some blocks on top of that blue layer and then spattered a yellow layer. And you know, that blue layer that was exposed to the yellow turned beautiful green. And, you know, I was like, ah, wow. <laughs> sure, sure. So I uh, so I told my wife, I feel like I like I invented an alphabet. Now I've got to learn how to write poetry with it. So, you know, for like seven years, I just played with um, how can I use this tool? What's it, what does this medium want to do? I, I made grids that had openings that I could open and close according to random numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the random numbers would determine where the colors fell. And then, uh, you know, how can I manipulate that? Can I skew the data so I could get say an orange circle to appear in the middle 
by mm-hmm. just skewing the randomness. And, uh, and then I played around with, well, what if I scattered objects on the surface and had them mask out the areas? So I would lay down, spatter a bunch of yellow paint, then dump a bucket of ping pong balls onto the surface and then spatter blue and then stir the ping pong balls up and spatter another color. And so it was fascinating, endlessly fascinating, because I'd sit back and say, well, look, wow, look at what the painting did all by itself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about it, especially with the, the process of where you started or, you know, kind of working from life drawing to really allowing these kind of systems to, to do what they're going to do and to kind of explore you know, essentially each series, you know, and again, um, if we haven't already mentioned, um, you know, please visit, uh, David's website. It's, uh, it's David Nelson art.com. Yes. And again, you can see some of the, the work that we're talking about. Cause again, you do explore a lot of systems and, and kind of different ways, kind of how you're just describing of making paintings and, and a lot of the paintings to kind of do what they're going to do. But again, I especially like the way that that process kind of has developed to really, I think, allow, you know, the, the color to kind of be, you know, present in a different way because it's not just traditional oil paint. You know, I mean, again, you get that interaction of these kind of intense colors as how they're layered over the top of each other, how you were just describing. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was really amazed and loved how the nuances that would come through and, uh, and you could, I mean, it was sort of like raising brilliant children. You could really only take so much credit for it because, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, I, I did have something to do with making this painting, but I love the idea of setting up a system and then letting it roll. And uh, I remember going for a hike uh, again with my friend Mike. We were up in the White Mountains and uh, looking at the undergrowth under the trees. You'd, you'd see, you know, okay, here's this um, here's this one little fern that's dominating. But then here's another spot where a moss is pushing that fern out, and here's another place where you know oxalis or another little plant is is inter intermixed with that. And, and you think, okay, here's here's these little plants that are their systems with criteria that govern how they act. So, you know, you know that if a tree falls down, then maybe this, this plant's going to dominate now, Mm -hmm. but then it's a dry season. And so this plant's going to have the advantage. And I started looking there's, there's these systems that are rolling by themselves all around us. So it's kind of fun for me as, as a creator to, you know, to not, uh, meticulously control every crosshatched line, but to set up a system and then see what it would do. And is it something where, again, as you kind of worked through these various systems that it would lead into the next or, you know, I yeah. guess I'm always kind of curious about how that, that process works because, you know, if you were to be, um, I don't know, making representational paintings of, of figures or something, you might think about, you know, how you're changing the context each time, right. or, you know, doing sketches and preliminary work. But I would imagine a lot of times it's like, like, oh, I didn't think about how choosing specific objects for masking would affect it. So I'm going to, you know, really choose them the next time around or, you know. Yeah. Well, what I found was um, one of the big challenges in pursuing art is, is idea management. I don't know if you've run into the same thing. I, I keep an, I decided I'd keep a notebook, sketchbook, and every time I would have a new idea, 
I'd write it down and say, oh, you know, I got to try, got to try ping pong balls. You know, how Mm. would that work? And, uh, you know, maybe I could set up a circular grid where they would fall in and mask, you know, fall into the circles. And, but, you know, you, you can't pursue everything. And I found, you know, that there's this real interesting balance as an artist of, um, of depth and breadth where if you pursue every idea that goes in, comes into your head, you really don't get to see what that idea is about. So I, but having this notebook really put my mind at ease where I could say, okay, well, I've recorded that idea. It's there. I can pursue it later. But unless I do 10 of these paintings with where I scatter plastic shopping bags, I'm not going to really know what's going on. So you know, I had, you got to create depth, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to get stale and say, well, you know, I've been doing plastic shopping bags for the last 14 years. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so one of the cool experiences I had was um, I got a, into a residency at the uh, Vermont Studio Center in Johnson, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And that was a, uh, I think it was a, a month long residency. And so, uh, I thought, okay, this is great. So I went back through all of my notebooks and made a list of all the ideas that I had storehoused. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do two new ideas every week. And so that opportunity was, was great because I just, uh, you know, would crank through these new ideas and say, oh, oh yeah, that, that one really didn't work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, wow, this one would be cool if I did this. And, uh, you know, that was a it was a really good uh, good opportunity to have some focused time to just intentionally go through this storehouse of you know cataloged ideas and explore them. Well, and also I would imagine, like you were describing, after you you know, graduated, you kind of lose that maybe interaction like you have in school. So to kind of be around other artists had also had to be pretty kind of interesting. Yeah, that was terrific. Um, the way that residency is set up, you, you have all your meals together with the other artists. And, uh, and I, so I said, I, I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to sit with somebody new every day. And, uh, it was fascinating. I mean, it was a great experience. Uh, I would really recommend, uh, you know, the residency experience to all the listeners. Cause, uh, you know, you're sitting with a bunch of people that are there doing the thing they love to do the most and great conversations and a lot of good stimulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and one thing that, that strikes me about this kind of more system-based work too is it generally seems to be a decent scale in, in terms of the way that it might relate to somebody seeing it, you know, like almost human size or... Yeah, no, um, I settled on like a four foot by four foot module because um, I found that I was building a lot of fixtures and grids and, um, you know, masks and stuff. So I'm going to drive myself crazy if I vary the, you know, the dimensions all the time. So Mm -hmm. I, I settled on four foot by four foot. And then, um, you know, then from there I started, well, okay, if I'm going to do a bigger painting, let's, uh, well, let's put four of these four foot modules together. And, and part of that was um, just 
the droplet size of the paintings and uh, you know the way that the colors laid in, they lent themselves to bigger work. If you had it just uh, you know ten inch by ten inch square, it uh, it was a different experience, but a lot of the optical mixing wouldn't happen. What was the, I guess, impetus behind the, the kind of the more recent work that starts to kind of get back to representation and specifically the the Past Imperfect series? What I was doing, you know, I was playing around with cyan, yellow, and magenta, and black, and and thinking about, okay, what if I took the structure of a photograph and the mechanical process of color separation? You know, that, there's an, there's another grid, and what if I disrupted that, you know, mechanical perfect realness of a photograph and started doing it by hand? One of the books that was has been great for me is um, this book called Trust the Process, uh, The Artist's Guide to Letting Go. Have you ever ever read that one? No, no. I'm going to write it down, um, though. Yeah, it's a terrific book. And one of the things the guy says is, you know, technique isn't enough. Um, you know, what is the medium trying to say? You know, have this dialogue between you and the medium. So, So I started to think about, okay, well... You know, maybe I could make these transparent paints that you know were cyan, yellow, magenta, and black, and I could overlap the droplets and do layers of plexiglass. You know, and and so I I did a I did a sample of it, um, and it's like, wow, yeah. When you step back, this really takes on a life of itself. But then I started think, well, okay, so what is this technique crying out to say? You know what. You don't want to just like, oh, I can make photographs this way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I began to think about, well, how you're taking this crisp image and blurring it and making it organic. So I started to rummage through old photographs and uh, blow them up and then make these coarse color separations and use those as a guide for dropping thousands of little droplets of this clear acrylic paint through squirt bottles with industrial syringe tips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I'd spend hours just dropping these little droplets and you're working on the thing and it's like, this doesn't make any sense at all. But then you put the layers together and it's like, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's me and my brothers. Oh, yeah. And, right, right. And, and so, uh, so I found that it it was really cool for the subject matter because memory is like that where you've got these these old images of who you used to be and those memories fade with time and and some things get sharper with time and some things are only uh perceived with through distance and uh you know with time passing so, so that's why I called it the past imperfect series well, and just to make sure I understand how the process works, then are you kind of like separating it in a different kind of filtering it in a different color, you know, images, and then essentially making a print that you can kind of, um, you know, do you know like your layer of yellow or yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. I, I would uh, I'd separate it in Photoshop and I'd I'd make it uh, as coarse as I, you know, I was balancing the making it coarse enough so that it was hard to recognize, but then fine enough so that when you step back, it actually would, you know, coalesce into an image. 
so then I would uh, I would make separate files of each channel, you know, the cyan, yellow, magenta, and black, and then print those out and use those as a guide to uh, you know lay a piece of plexiglass on top of that and then go through and drop these droplets of clear acrylic on top of them. How how long does it take to put one of these together? Because I again, oh, I, for, I, forever. Okay. Well, <laughs> it took as, forever. Well, again, as you know, like as a, as somebody that you know, um, you know, teaches drawing or, or something like that. Now, you know, I think about time as you know relative to whatever it is that you're working on. So I think a lot of times, you know, people might see an image like one of these paintings and be kind of like in awe of it, but then not think about all that. I mean, again, it sounds very, you know, you got to have things to listen to, I'm sure, while you're working. <laughs> yeah, well, it uh, it became kind of meditative. And, you know, and I told myself, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. And so I would purposely say, okay, wow, I get to set two hours aside and just drop droplets of paint. What a wonderful thing. <laughs> and so, so, uh, it became kind of a focus time. You know, I'd, I'd put on music or, you know, listen to a podcast or, uh, you know, my wife said, well, that's, it's probably kind of like doing needlepoint. <laughs> uh, and, and actually I came across a, uh, a podcast where the guy was saying that that's sort of at the heart of every meditative practice. If you get your, your body doing a repetitive process unhinges this part of your brain that allows it to to kind of spin free and you know and i found that was uh that was really kind of cool yeah yeah but it was it, it, there there were moments of tedium and uh and i had to figure out how do you how do you do this so like all the dots don't run together if you got a thick you know area where there's heavy color and you know how do you not drag your hand through the ones you just done and <laughs> all those kind of things. I'm sure a lot of people talk, talk about, um, Surratt, you know, that kind of like way of exploring, but again, it's so interesting to think about now you're kind of like distilling it through technology, you know, it's through like a digital process. So obviously like the, the colors are different, but again, you kind of come away with this, you know, soft image, but it again, kind of feels nostalgic or, um, you know, kind of alluding to the past as, you know, the, name of the series kind of implies yeah again it's it's just very interesting to think about the process and the image and how those go together yeah well and and what i found fascinating was that um these these paintings since i was introducing error by doing them by hand and um they're doing them so coarsely they they were much more evocative than the photographs i was talking to somebody that was a, a poet and we were you're talking about how well that's the essence of poetry is you know no poet comes out and just says what they're thinking about mm-hmm. you use evocative language and symbol and allusions and metaphor so that the idea is vague really and so that the the reader in reading the poem it becomes a creative experience for them and uh, I, I remember that uh, that Joan Baez song, Diamonds and Rust, where she says, you know, you were so good with words and with keeping things vague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what I was seeing was that instead of this sharp photo, you got this imperfect photo that really evoked more emotion and, and really was a creative experience for the viewer. You know, people had to look at it and say, oh, you know, what is 
oh, wow. <laughs> right, right. And they have that kind of connection to it in a way that the system work, I, I mean, in a way does that, but this is, again, kind of puts it in a different context. Yeah, where, and what I found um, with my other work, you know, with the, the other systems and the grids that art people got into them and could see, you know, okay, oh, cool, I can see what you're doing. And, you know, most people would respond to the colors and the patterns, but it was, you got a lot of weird looks of like, you're spending your time doing this. <laughs> so, so it was really fascinating for me to do a series where um, pretty much everybody engages with this on, on a level where, you know, people look at that. Oh, oh, cool. Look at that. Hey, I can see. Uh, yeah. Is that you? And and uh, it became a, a really a really fun conversation starter because I, I found I was um, entering into conversations with people who never really thought about art this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, my uh, I was. I was explaining my early, the early stuff I was doing to my son-in-law who was studying religion and philosophy at the time. And so he said, Oh, it sounds like art is just visual philosophy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a, it's a visual way of understanding the world. It's, it's, you know, not trying to draw a perfect bowl of apples. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's trying to figure out what uh, what do apples mean? What's uh, you know what's the visual experience like? Well, so yeah, it, it's been it's been fun with this series because it's uh, I think people have found it more engaging. It's been an, more of an open door for more people. But it looks like again, the, the kind of using the figures in, in these series might be something that kind of led to the the most recent series, which are these four foot by eight foot portraits using that same kind of system. Yeah, the, I call the series Incarnations because I, I started, started to see that, uh, you know, scale was everything, that, you know, how far away are you from these paintings um, determined what, how you read them. And so I started thinking, well, suppose these things were life-size and the color separation dots were, you know, the size of a quarter or half a dollar. What, what would that be like? So, again, I started to think, well... Okay, then what's doggone subject matter? I mean, <laughs> it's so much easier being an abstract artist. So I started thinking, well, okay, then what subject matter would be interesting to do this? And I, and I thought, well, you know, what if it took um, people, and especially people I love, my family, and just did really straightforward photographs of them? You know, almost like full-length mug shots where there's no pose, no personality, no, you know, trying to interpret them through the photograph. The photograph was just like a digital, you know, visual record of them. And then I take these people I love and break them up into this fog of dots and try to express them not by capturing more information, but by discarding information. Um, what would happen then? And so, uh, so these paintings have been interesting because I'm finding that a lot remains. When I'm working on them, I'm thinking, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. This is not a face. <laughs> right, right. But then uh, 
you know, when they're done and you stand back and set them up, it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's Nora. That's my daughter. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, she stands that way. Yeah. And, and look at that. You can see the detail of her turtleneck she's wearing. <laughs> so, again, it's, um, it's this cool balance of these things are more evocative than a photograph or if I had uh, – you know, used my cross-hatching skills and done a perfectly modeled painting or drawing of of my family. You know, mm-hmm. It's like, here, oh, your brain has to sort this out. Well, and there's like a, a haziness or like, I don't want to say a fog, but like because of the way that it's kind of depicted, it kind of relates to that other series. It makes you think of memory and... You know, it allows it to be not specific enough for somebody that might see it to, again, of course, think about the people in their lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the that was the uh, an interesting part of this that it it really allowed people to step into it a little more themselves. And uh, one of the cool things on top of that was just um, I had to figure out how to get paint that would be. Now, unlike the other series where I was straining to find paint that would stay opaque, this series, since I wasn't using layers of plexiglass, um, I was doing it all on one surface. I had to find paint that would, when you, that would be transparent. So, like when you put a blue a cyan dot on top of a yellow dot, it had to appear green. So, uh, so finding paint that would do that, I, I eventually, you know, I experimented with a whole bunch of different mediums and found that a lot of mediums would crack and craze when they dried if you put them on that thick. Mm-hmm. And so finally I found a, an, uh, an acrylic pouring medium that was meant to be poured. Mm-hmm. So this paint puddles into this beautiful, glossy little pool of, of color and, uh, so when you put in, you let it dry, and you put another drop on top of it. It's so the the bonus was that these paintings are really engaging as paintings close up because there's this delicious glossy candy colors, and my wife says it looks like lollipops, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're really engaging close up. But then you you stand back, and those bright colors start to take on this nuance and shading and uh so it's it's a cool push pull interesting interesting and again just to think about just the you know the breadth of all the other stuff that you've done just to kind of um to see that in some ways it's kind of like a circle in terms of going back to your interest in the figure earlier yeah Um, yeah i hadn't thought of that but yeah i'm back to uh back to anatomy and perspective and uh (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, uh, and, hey, maybe maybe I should do a series of uh, superheroes and really get back to my roots. <laughs> well, again, that might be also like uh, the the series that moves, right? I mean, the superheroes are very, very, very popular right now. Well, again, I'm I'm kind of interested then too. Are, so, do you have a lot of like um, new ways to kind of look at like what you want to make, you know, moving forward? Or I've kind of had a, a big push this last couple of months. I, I got. Uh, I got selected to participate in the Governor's Island Art Fair this year down in Manhattan. I sent in three of these four by eight images and proposed, you know, hey, I want to do 10 of these, my entire family. Of those three images, only one of them was really right, um, you know, with the right material and the right paint and the, you know, the right surface. 
And so when they emailed me back and said, hey, yeah, we love the idea. Um, the fair is in a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I had to do uh, nine of these big paintings in, I had 30 days. And uh, so, you know, really had to just clear the decks and it, it was, it was crazy, but it was fun. And so now I've got, uh, got these 10 paintings down in New York city for this uh, month of September. Excellent. Excellent. And after that, I mean, like, again, especially after such a marathon, is it then just kind of like you're saying, idea managing and then, you know, coming back to the drawing board when you have a little bit of a break or are you always kind of working or. So now I'm thinking, okay, well then what's, what's next with this? And I've, I've been thinking about, um, how could I reinterpret this as sculpture? Would that be possible? Um, and I'm, I'm really eager to, to do something at a bigger scale. You know, suppose instead of four by eight, uh, I got to do one at uh, 10 feet by 20 feet. Right, right. Well, that seems uh, like an undertaking for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, other, other ideas like, uh, you know, how can, I, how can I emphasize the human hand? You know, what if each one of those dots, instead of being... You know, this perfect puddle of color. What if they were a splatter? How? And so I've been been mulling over. Uh, okay, how could I do that? What would be the best mm-hmm. way to do it? And there's a balance of you know you got to try this stuff, but you know you don't want to waste a ten foot by twenty foot piece of canvas or Typar or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I don't know. One of the things I've resolved myself to is that art is all about waste. You know you you've got to resign yourself to, uh, I'm going to waste time. I'm going to waste materials. I'm going to waste money. I'm going to follow bunny paths that are not going to be productive, but you know, I'm, I'm going to pursue this thing. You know, one of the, uh, well, I can't remember which book it was. Oh, I think it was the, the artist's way. One of the things the writer said was, um, you really have to get over the masterpiece mentality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said, said, you got to look at it that you're not working on your art. Your art is working on you. You know, that you're the masterpiece, becoming an artist. So if you don't finish something or if it doesn't work out, well, it's, it's done its work on you. You know, it, it's, it's allowed you to explore something you, that you found out was a dead end or maybe you could take a little piece of it. But, uh, but that's been a really good philosophy for me to to grab onto that it's made me look at failure differently which is good because i do a lot of it (laughs) interesting interesting before we let you go again where's the best place people can find your work and remind us again uh where they can see it uh where it's up now at the fair yeah um my website is davidnelsonart.com and uh it's the governor's island art fair Governor's Island is an old military base just uh, 800 yards off of the southern tip of Manhattan. So uh, it's a really cool thing. There's 100 artists from around the world, and uh, we each get a room in one of these big abandoned military buildings. I'll tell you what, the, the, the people that run the thing, that, that curated the show, did a fabulous job because uh, there isn't a single artist there that's dealing with a cliched idea. <laughs> I, mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I said to my wife, man, everything here is thought provoking. Even if you don't like it or can't understand it, it's somebody is doing a lot of thinking. 
So, uh, so yeah, that's running every weekend this September till October 1st, um, from 11 o'clock till six o'clock. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a city person, but really it's pretty easy to get to. There's a parking garage right across from the ferry and, uh, it's really fun. It's a beautiful, they've turned half of the Island into a beautiful park with bike paths and a food court and very cool. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a great, uh, I'm having a blast. I'm planning on being there every weekend. Um, just some uh, really good conversations this weekend. I found that uh, you know people from little little toddlers were uh, responding to the artwork, saying, "Oh, look at the little baby!" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, then was talking uh, religion and philosophy with uh, people that uh, were studying that stuff in college, and uh, so so some some cool stuff. Very exciting. And again, I do want to thank you so much for um, taking the time to uh, finally do this. I know that we've been uh, juggling different schedules and stuff, but again, it's been really great to have you on and and to talk to you all about this. Yeah, thanks, David. And thanks for the work you're doing. It's really fun. Uh, It's been inspirational for me to listen to uh, your interviews with other artists. It's it's, uh, part of that thing of being able to find some community and and ideas uh, online. It's been good. Excellent. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks once again to David for joining me. You'll want to check out his website, davidnelsonart.com. And you want to be sure to check out his work at the Governor's Island Art Fair in Manhattan. Again, there's over 100 artists featured, and the show runs through October 1st. Again, hours are Saturday and Sunday, 11 to 6 p.m., so go check it out and see some art. And you can also find his work at Box Heart Gallery in Pittsburgh, so check it out. Once again, if you are now a new listener, I do want to encourage you to check out the other episodes on studiobreak.com. Again, there's a healthy archive found right on the left sidebar on the homepage, so please check it out. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these interviews that you can listen to right on studiobreak.com, or just click that iTunes link, subscribe, and that way you never miss an episode. Once again, if you do listen in the iTunes store, please leave us some comments and feedback there. It just helps with visibility, and of course, you can also easily help by sharing these episodes again if you hear something you like let your friends know about it if you see some art or hear something interesting once again we are in social media so be sure to like our facebook page again we do provide updates of guests as well as episodes and show announcements opportunities things like that so like our facebook page you can also follow us on twitter at studio break and of course on instagram at studio underscore break so please follow us there I do want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. And, of course, if you'd like to see some of my paintings, please visit DavidLinaway.com. And, of course, you can follow me on Instagram at DavidLinaway. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll talk to you real soon.